Previously on Newsbreak, Lotus FM. Hello there, welcome to the program this Sunday afternoon. I'm Tadesh Hari Prashad, keeping you company on Newsbreak Talk. I uh, hope you're having a wonderful Sunday and we've just popped in now for an hour to talk to you about some important things, to add a bit more information to your Sunday, to also really give you the opportunity to converse with us about things very close to your heart, things that you feel particularly, um, you know, principled on. And I always just love this opportunity on a Sunday to provide you that platform, to give you the opportunity and to really take the conversation forward. So we've got quite a lot to talk about today. Uh, everything from our usual COVID-19 updates and focuses right down to um, some international issues and uh, a really heartbreaking um, story that we ran this week. So definitely want to provide you things to talk about. We are going to be speaking to Department of Health in a short while. I want to curate some of your opinions and thoughts before we do so. But there has been a certain degree of... Um, I'm not going to say tension, I'm just going to say a certain degree of um, you know, lack of clarity between the private and public sector when it comes to the rollout of the vaccine. You will understand at this point that only frontline healthcare workers are receiving the vaccine in phase one of South Africa's vaccine rollout approach. Um, so some... Um, health practitioners, the, 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 the private ones claim we are at the front line of it all and we should be given uh, you know, the vaccine ASAP. But of course, there's protocols and there's issues. So I know that the Department of Health addressed this issue specifically this week. Um, and we want to find out more information about that. What is that sort of dynamic and how do you go about mitigating it and bridging it? And a very important question was asked um, earlier, to, earlier this week to me. I remember by name who asked it. Anila Narayan asked me, uh, okay, so we understand that the rollout has taken place now for public healthcare workers or frontline healthcare workers. So at what point, what date could we now put to um, the senior citizens? So therefore, lots to talk about, lots to ask. But let's talk about it now and provide you some information into it. The National Department of Health has come under fire from some political parties who accuse it of lying about the rollout of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. This is after Deputy Minister Joe Pakla and said the J&J vaccine is being administered as part of an expanded trial as it has yet to be registered in South Africa. Pakla has also told members that government is now expecting to vaccinate 700,000 people instead of the 1.5 million people it had planned. Joseph Mosia reports. There have been questions in the past about whether the current program to vaccinate frontline healthcare workers is a rollout or vaccine trial. Deputy Minister Joe Patha sought to explain to members that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine had been shown to be effective and safe in trials here in South Africa and elsewhere. What it had not yet done was receive regulatory approval from SAPRA. We therefore approached uh, uh, the regulatory authority here at home uh, in conjunction with Johnson & Johnson and the agreement was that as long as the, 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 the expansion of vaccination, which had already started with the phase three trials, as long as that expansion of further inoculations would be as part of an expanded study uh, using that, that same product, then legally uh, Sabra would be able to, uh, to approve that. This, however, triggered an angry response from EFF MP Naleri Chirwa, who accused the department of being dishonest. These are assertions of, 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 of 
and National Department of Health and Provincial Department of Health. These actions have been deeply dangerous for everyone and only prove that the interest, as per the first quotation I made by the minister, was never fighting COVID with facts and evidence-based strategies. You've rolled out a vaccine that is still being researched, but you're speaking about uh, evidence-based strategies and fighting COVID with facts. Sheikh Imam of the National Freedom Party also felt that the department had misled the public. Normally in a trial, you will call for people to participate in a trial. You will get their consent for them to participate in a trial. And in this instance, you have failed to do that. And it is my understanding that this matter needs to be escalated. And if necessary, some measures need to be put in place to hold you to be accountable for this. Because many of these people who have taken these vaccines are on the opinion that this is a rollout that as healthcare workers, you want to protect them first. However, what you did not tell them is that they are on a trial. The deputy minister was, however, adamant that they had done nothing wrong and had, in fact, kept everyone informed of what was happening. If indeed there are members who are convinced that the Department of Health, J&J and South African Medical Research Council are conducting uh, an illegal, unethical uh, 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 business, they have all the right to can approach uh, the various you know, legal authorities of the country to can challenge that and I, I'm very confident that indeed we, we will not be found to have violated any law and any ethical uh, uh, conduct. Government had also set itself a target of vaccinating one and a half million people by the end of March. MPs however questioned whether this was possible as only 91,000 people have been vaccinated so far. Partha explains. That was our original plan, but with the kind of challenge we have reached with, with AstraZeneca, we definitely want, we're not at this stage even hoping to reach the 1.5 million by end of March. Our target currently is having exhausted um, the, the current doses of J&J. We will be over 500,000, hopefully having received also some Pfizer vaccines. We will be uh, and, and receiving uh, uh, some, some further doses at least by the end of, 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 of March, what we are anticipating is that we will be somewhere close to 700,000. Okay, so a lot of discussions and debate about the numbers over there, um, issue of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine also being, um, you know, brought into the mix. So, yeah, we can definitely get some more information about that and confirmation or even denial of it. Um, but I think, and we touched on this the other day, the uh, issue of third, wave, third wave of COVID-19. South Africa can expect the emergence of a third wave of coronavirus infections from June this year, coinciding with the cold winter months. Now, that's according to the co-chair of the Ministerial Adv- Advisory Committee on COVID-19, Professor Salim Abdul Karim. However, the third wave imminent um, is government ready for another surge in infections and what can South Africans do to avert this? So um, that's definitely the hot topic that everybody has been um, trying to ascertain. Here's this report by Prabhashni Mudli. 
South Africa's leading health scientists are expecting a third wave of COVID-19 infections around June. Its severity and variation is currently unknown. On Sunday, President Sol Ramaphosa announced that the country will move to lockdown alert level one. This means that restrictions on alcohol sales have been lifted and large gatherings of up to 250 people outdoors and a maximum of 100 indoors are now permitted. According to experts, public behavior is likely to have a bearing on how soon and how hard that the third wave will hit. Co-chair of the Ministerial Advisory Committee on COVID-19, Professor Salim Abdul Karim, says that as winter approaches, people are likely to gather indoors in poorly ventilated spaces, which could increase the rate of transmission. When we look at how first and second waves have occurred in many countries, including our own, we've analyzed that data. We can expect a third wave somewhere in June, July. It also coincides with our winter months. If there is a new variant, then it's completely unpredictable. And we can then expect a much more severe third wave. If there's no new variant that we're still dealing with the current variant, then a wave might be a smaller one than we've had in the second wave. Dr. Harry Moultrie, senior medical epidemiologist at the Institute for Communicable Diseases, says South Africa is now better prepared to deal with another surge of infections given the experience healthcare providers have gained thus far. Easter celebrations are also a concern, and Dr. Moultrie says that people must continue with non pharmaceutical interventions and smart lifestyle choices to keep safe. So we've got better surveillance mechanisms to give us an earlier warning. I also think to some extent our hospital systems and the healthcare system has been strengthened. Over the course of the year, oxygen delivery and reticulation systems in hospitals have been improved. Our staff are better capacitated. We now know more about how to clinically manage the virus. So as individuals, the first thing is all work together as a country to help avoid a third wave. The vaccines, if you get offered it, take it. And then lastly, our lifestyle choices. We all need to try to get, get more exercise and uh, eat as healthy as we can. South Africa received its second batch of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine at the weekend and another consignment is expected within two weeks. Dr. Moultrie says vaccinations are key to combating the virus and South Africa needs to reach a high level of immunization before protection can be provided to the entire population. It- it does depend partly on the coverage of the vaccine. And initially, the vaccines are going to be targeted at those at higher risk. But it is unlikely to have an impact on the indirect transmission of, of the virus until we get to substantial scale of vaccination. So the vaccinations will provide individual protection to those most at risk. And the wild vaccine coverages are low, but it will take time before we can ramp up to a substantial scale where the potential for reducing transmission through vaccinations will, will come to play. Trade union Denosa spokesperson in Gauteng, Bongani Mazubuko, says the imminent threat of the third wave and the easing of lockdown regulations has placed more emphasis on the government's state of readiness. We expect that um, government being the employer will make sure that we've got more nurses on the ground because at the moment there is a shortage um, of nurses and this has been a chronic uh, thing even before COVID. The arrival of COVID on our shoulders made things that much more worse for us and making sure that the proper people 
PPE is given. Some of the nurses who are community service nurses, their contracts ended in December and they were told to stay at home. The money that has been uh, lost through corruption, that is the money that should have been channeled to ensure that we've got adequate doctors and nurses. Gauteng Premier David Makura says the social behaviour of citizens would likely determine the severity of the third wave. He's advocating for mass-scale vaccinations. We must make it clear that coronavirus is still around. We must also make it clear that the third wave is still a real possibility as we approach winter. We must say without any equivocation that vaccines constitute the decisive weapon against any pandemic so that we can ensure we hold the rage of this pandemic and save more lives and enable our economy to open and recover fully. Health Minister Dr. Zwelim Kise said this week that government is discussing with vaccine manufacturers what can be done with the current vaccines to make them effective with future variations of the virus. Prabhashni Mudli, SABC News, Johannesburg. Wow, June. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's what the experts are suggesting. And please be advised on the language here. Suggesting? Um, yeah, I think suggesting is the word. So nobody's confirming there's going to be a third wave in June, but they're saying taking lifestyle into account, taking um, season habits into account, taking past experiences into account, there could be a suggestion that a third wave um, would be possible in June. But, um, and these are the words of Dr. Anban Pele, who will speak to just now, it rings in my head constantly when he says, this all can be reversed and changed and averted um, if human behavior changes. Um, I read an article, uh, a blog post the other day um, about somebody talking about the fact that now it's level one, alert level one of lockdown, masks go in the bin. Suggesting that this is the culture of South Africans where as soon as you have a relaxation of a particular regulation, uh, masks come off. Um, certainly that need not be the case. Um, so, yeah, that's the type of conversation that we are having here on the program. So let's go to WhatsApp and see what the sentiment is like here on the program. And um, a message then from Ramba Murli of Phoenix saying, knowing that the third wave is going to be here during winter, we as law-abiding um, people have to take all precautions and be safe. Mr. Rajan Rajkumar from Cape Town, great to hear from you, sir. He says, what recourse do the recipients of this vaccine have? The National Minister must now explain what has happened and come out clean. So, yeah, definitely some issues with regard to a lot of people suggesting um, the status with regard to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Shamila Maharaj says, um, I appreciate Newsbreak for providing us um, with information. Uh, going to level one doesn't mean the virus is gone. We are not receiving the vaccine soon. So please take the precautions and use your mask and keep social distances. It's still up to you and it is in your hand, hey, Shamila. So that's the important advice coming through there from Shamila. Um, let's go to Al A who sent us a text and he says, It is strange that the uproar of the rollout has come from quarters that are not medically qualified. Are we casting aspersions on the medical fraternity? Are we saying that those that are voluntarily accepting the vaccine now are clueless about what they're putting into their bodies? Beware of those scoring political points. I would rather put my faith in those that are informed than those that are fear-mongering. 
I mean, a solid point, right? Um, you've got medical professionals taking the vaccine who are telling us on a daily basis what to do uh, to avert the virus or what to do if we have the virus. Um, I mean, as I see it, that they are then role models for health. So um, if it's good enough for them, surely it would be good enough for their patients. You know, you get that sense. So that's just uh, a sort of a, a summary of what Ali is telling us. Manal Pele says, people in the area I come from don't believe to wear masks, still gather in groups, they don't care. Okay, to some voice notes now. Okay, let's go to this anonymous message first. Um, yeah, so I heard through the grapevine about some of the vaccines. Um... Yeah, a lot of fake news doing the rounds, Anonymous. I think maybe let's just stick to what the Department of Health is telling us because at least in the event if anything does go wrong, you can say to the Department of Health, uh, legally you can say this, that this was your assurance and your guideline and it went horribly wrong, so you're then liable and responsible. But if you pick it up from WhatsApp, uh, who do you hold accountable to that then? Okay, Salim Adam on a voice note. Hello. Hi, Tadesh. Good topic. You know... COVID is being really ravaging the world. South Africa has already exceeded 50,000 deaths. The world is also experiencing unprecedented number of deaths. Political parties are now raising the topic of whether Johnson & Johnson in vaccination is a test. When are the political parties going to be united for the benefit of this country and the people of this country. We're having a serious crisis. People are dying. They need the injection to save lives and political parties are busy scoring points. Show your relevance. Put the people first and then you can put South Africa first. Yeah, powerful, powerful voice note there from Mr. Salim Adam. Daniel Chellen, hello. Good afternoon, this is Daniel Joshua Challen. Thank you very much for the informative news break team. We really admire you for your excellent work and your output and being open and transparent. Uh, I have just one question that has been troubling me for a while. We are all focusing on the new vaccine that Johnson & Johnson vaccine that is taking place, how many have been vaccinated, how many vaccines are coming. But we need a feedback on those vaccines that were purchased from India and the amount has been paid for it. According to the Minister of Health, he said there will be no wasted expenditure. But he didn't tell us yet up to date what waste is getting the money back and how he's going to recover the money. We need a feedback because everybody seemed to be silent about the vaccines that came from India and was paid for by the government. Thank you and God bless you. Thanks, Mr. Chellen. I'll, um, I remember that when I did pose this question to the Department of Health the last time, we had them on the program and they told us that uh, they are going to uh, repurpose those vaccines and uh, uh, potentially, you know, sell them off then to African states that are in dire need of vaccine. So that was the last official word. Um, 
and I'll remind you that what I want to focus on today in my interview with the Department of Health, um, two things basically: the issue of rollout of vaccine between public and private healthcare workers. What is the difference there? How do you ensure that you know you evenly do that? And the other very important point for the future and to go forward is um, if we have the rollout already in place with the healthcare workers, when is the rollout for the senior citizens and those who need it next in phase two? So those are my two focus areas. So uh, I'll try and you know provide you. with answers to um questions you have from my previous interviews with the Department of Health but today with the Department of Health in a short while I look forward to talking about newer issues let's go to this voice note hello Tarish Ali Basant Steve Gerard the government is vaccinating all the frontline workers what happens the public and the citizen we give millions of them dying Thank you God bless you. Mr. Steven Gerard, I love hearing from you. <laughs> Thanks. I will definitely be uh, asking Department of Health about the senior citizens. When is their turn? Can we put a date to it? Uh, Mr. N Governor, hello. Good afternoon, Tarish and the team. Johnson and Johnson vaccines are being administered to healthcare workers in phase 1. We don't have clear guidelines who will be vaccinated in phases 2 and 3. It seems that the health department is continuously changing the order of vaccination. The government is incapable of vaccinating 67% of the population by year end. The private sector must commence vaccination as soon as possible. Thank you. Thank you Mr. Governor, good point there to talk to the Department of Health with. A uh, message the people not abiding by the rule and how will the less fortunate be able to afford the vaccine no one is thinking of them nisha uh, i've done this so many times it's free it's a rollout it's a national rollout of vaccine it's free yeah um so tonti says namaste and when walking into malls or police stations public arrogance and ignorance of people not wearing masks and following covid protocols is um is prone yeah Um yeah I I had a conversation yesterday about a lady telling me um she literally went to buy bread and she could literally feel the person behind her breathing on her neck and she said she did the polite thing and she said sorry ma'am could you please maintain some social distancing and the lady just gave her a really horrible stare um should you stare at somebody horribly if they tell you sorry could you maintain some social distancing um I mean I guess no you know nobody's asking you to apologize but do you have to give them that that horrible stare because I've got it myself every time I say to somebody sorry you you one meter please and they seem as if you know um you're you're attacking them or you're abusing them um what are your thoughts on that Okay Mr Singh in Kurdistan says on Tuesday I was driving up Link Road in Shell Cross and was flabbergasted uh, the people nearby were who were walking toward um the area were not wearing masks it, it disturbed me that one year down the line with the number of people that have lost their lives that people still believe that it's all right not to wear masks wow we need to really really um Yeah, it silenced me just a pinch there. <laughs> you must never go silent on radio. But I, I like you said one year on, hey, we just 
what's the word observed the f- one year since the first case of covid-19 and wow um So Lanesia says take the population of Nigeria and compare the figures with South Africa something just does not add up I don't understand exactly what you meaning uh, if you could explain a bit further maybe we'd have some more context to what you're saying um yeah so those are your messages that's basically where we stand on the conversation when we come back we connect with Dr Anban Pele from the Department of Health to ask him some questions um relating to the vaccine stay tuned Your favorite newspaper just added even more insight with the new Insider supplement from personal finance and politics to entertainment and property and so much more. You'll find the inside track from our world-class journalists and contributors. Get the inside view from the insiders only in the Insider, exclusively in the Saturday Star, independent on Saturday, weekend August, Pretoria News Weekend, Sunday Tribune and Sunday Independent. Brought to you by the power of independent. This Sunday brings the return of the Barclays FA Women's Super League. Sitting comfortably in the number 2 position, winning their last 6 matches are the citizens of Manchester City. Get to the byline by Kelly, really dangerous ball in. And Manchester City have their goal. Having given fans a mixed bag of results, Everton wants nothing more than to clinch those 3 points to move up from 5th place. Fantastic shot. Fantastic finish. Don't miss out on super action when the citizens of Manchester City tackles the Toffees of Everton this Sunday the 7th of March at 4 p.m. Streamed live on sabcsportonline.co.za the Barclays FA Women's Super League #thisisourgame brought to you by SABC Sport So it's half past 12 and thank you so much for um what contributions you've made thus far to the conversation and let's let's uh, get a sense of where we stand with regard to this and like I said to you there are two issues that I want to focus on today specifically so uh, grateful as always to have Dr Anban Pele of course he's from the um, National Department of Health the Deputy Director General there for Health um, Dr Pele good afternoon to you busy time it's been I'd imagine Uh, good afternoon to you and to the to the listeners. Yes, uh, um, you know we we obviously ramping up the uh, the vaccine program, and so uh, a lot of planning and uh, addressing many of the challenges that we have currently. Uh, Absolutely, and you know, I, like I said, I want to focus on two specific issues. The one is the sort of um, you know differences now between the rollout for public and private healthcare workers, how that is progressing, and uh, ultimately, you know, in terms of phase two of rollout, you know, what timelines could be put to. to that i know you were part of a very interesting webinar recently as as early as friday i think uh, on talking about the rollout bit for public and private healthcare workers what was the aim of your conversation there and what did you address um our intention was to uh, uh, share uh, the rollout details with the private healthcare workers uh, um often um the information doesn't necessarily filter down to healthcare workers who are working in a ward a hospital a clinic a gp or a pharmacy etc 
And so uh, our intention was to try and reach as many people as possible through the webinar and uh, provide them with information about how they can be vaccinated. In the public health system, it's uh, much more structured in that you have provincial departments and information generally flows from the head office down to staff in wards and clinics. But in the private sector, uh, it's uh, not a homogenous group, but there's different groupings. So uh, we thought it's important to, to share that information with them as to where we are and how we're progressing. I think uh, you know what's been coming to our attention thus far from uh, some in the pub, uh, in the private healthcare sector, the healthcare workers, and what they're saying is that um, they feel that you know there is a sort of uh, grey area with regard to who from the uh, sectors get it. Is that an issue being dealt with on the cards right now, where the private sector feels they're not being prioritised in the rollout? Well, I mean, we've uh, um, uh, been working with the private sector to try and uh, uh, give them the the, uh, the, the best, uh, you know, uh, available resources uh, in terms of vaccines. Um, having said so, I think it's important to, to to say that you know we we obviously have a limited supply of vaccines as they come in on a weekly basis. So we would not be able to give everyone a vaccine at the time that they would like to, but certainly we'll be getting to everyone. The approach we've taken is that we'd like to vaccinate the high-risk workers, so those that are working in what we call aerosolization settings, such as in ICU, those that are working in the COVID wards, in the emergency wards, uh, and we have found them to probably be at highest risk of contracting COVID. And so we would like to vaccinate them first. Once we've completed with that group, we will go to the next layer of staff that would uh, uh, potentially be at risk of COVID in the hospital environment. At the same time, we're trying to identify those in the primary care environment, such as our GPs, then moving to our dentists, etc. So we have um, a risk-based approach. So uh, if an individual obviously is at lower risk, they would uh, um, receive the vaccine maybe a bit later than when they were hoping to receive it. Yeah. There's been reports by specifically some some in the general practitioner sector who say that, but we're the first point of call. We first have to screen a patient and and, and consult with them. So we basically the first point of call with somebody who could be potentially COVID positive, but we're not being prioritized on the vaccine rollout. Your thoughts on that? Um, we have been uh, uh, vaccinating general practitioners. Our initial allocation was, I think, over 5,000 doses to GPs uh, over the first two weeks. And I think uh, the majority of the GPs took up those doses. And I think uh, um, those that had not, we were going to uh, um, uh, vaccinate them, I think, over the last week or two this week to, to clean up that. And then we would then go to the next group. So we've been working with the associations of GPs to try and get the word out to each GP and for him or her to register and uh, then access the uh, the vaccination program. The one challenge that we have is that because this has to be in the context of a study, we cannot have sites everywhere like we would if we uh, were rolling it out in the in a normal sense. So we only have 40-odd sites across the country. And those sites are, are, are having to, to manage uh, all the healthcare workers. So there are 
longer waiting times and uh, the stock is obviously limited until we get uh, much uh, uh, higher quantities of stock then we can certainly uh, vaccinate all all the healthcare workers our plan is that by Mid-April, we're hoping that if all our healthcare workers are vaccinated, and because then we'd like to 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 move on to phase two, which is uh, the, the the public access. Yeah, and before we talk, we talk about phase two. Um, so I know you said there's been engagements, and you cited specific GP associations. You know. Um, and this is a this is a hard question to answer, Doctor. And I think you've faced this for the past year, uh, trying to satisfy everybody. And I'd, I'd imagine one can't. So I, I want to ask, though, are healthcare professionals satisfied with the rollout? What are they saying to you? Because, like I say, the issue then becomes uh, who gets the priority. And you've explained it, but you know, are healthcare professionals satisfied with what you're telling them as to why certain sectors are getting it at which points? I think the uh, the leadership of the different professional groups understand our rationale. We we share with them the doses we have and the logic that we are applying in terms of who's priority and who's next, etc. I think they understand. Obviously, I think an uh, individual practitioner in his or her practice may not be privy to that level of information and so may feel as though they're not being prioritized because they don't have all of the information before them. But I think our intention, you know, as I was saying, is that we need to vaccinate all of them because uh, uh, I think as your one caller you mentioned uh, raised, that uh, they need to be uh, healthy and well in order to be able to treat patients. And so that is our intention as well. If we don't vaccinate them, then we're obviously not going to be able to manage this. So uh, we will certainly get to all of them. Uh, remember that the the 500,000 doses that we're getting from Johnson & Johnson uh, is only part of the study. And, uh, and once we start getting the Pfizer vaccines coming in, those would not be uh, um, limited to specific sites. They'll be much uh, uh, more widely available and easily accessed. And so I think uh, the pace at which we'll be moving is much faster than what we're doing currently. Yeah, let's talk about stock, Doctor. I know you've listed and previously you explained to us, you know, the, the, the doses that are coming through at, at, at what times, etc. How's stock looking right now and where do you stand? Well, we, we received, we're receiving doses probably every every week now. Another flight came in and uh, uh, this week, uh, this weekend, and uh, with additional doses. So um, we, we were running a bit low uh, in the in the week because our vaccination rate is obviously exceeding the supply of vaccines. So uh, we had to uh, uh, slow down a little bit until the, these doses come in. So next week you'll see us uh, picking up the pace again uh, because we have more doses coming. So this will probably continue for uh, for the next two weeks or so. Uh, and thereafter, we're anticipating that uh, we will hear about uh, the delivery of the Pfizer vaccine. And then that would obviously not be part of this uh, restricted uh, study approach and uh, we would make it more freely available so the private sector and the public sector would be able to access it in the individual hospital. There's been a lot of discussion about, and I just want to pick your brain on this, Doctor, because um, there's been a lot of discussion um, about, you know, Deputy Minister saying that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is being administered as part of an expanded trial um, as it is yet to be registered in South Africa. Uh, and this didn't really sit well with a lot of opposition parties. Uh, so, in a way, is that conversation sitting right now? 
Yeah, I was a bit surprised, I have to say, about the um, the, the reaction of the MPs because uh, about a week before that, the minister had uh, outlined in the National Council of Provinces exactly what the, the Johnson & Johnson study was about. Remember when we, we, we paused the, the AstraZeneca vaccine, we, we literally had uh, you know um, about a week and, and a bit to, to, to turn things around. Um, and we did that, and uh, uh, that's when we started rolling out the Johnson Johnson vaccine on about the 15th of February. And so we've made it very clear that uh, this is part of a study. Remember, the Johnson Johnson vaccine uh, had been proven to be effective as well as safe, but it, the the uh, documentation to get the, the vaccine registered was still in process. So we could not uh, uh, procure the vaccine because it was it hadn't gone through the registration process. So the only way we could do that was through a study. Uh, now, you may have heard last week that the United States has uh, approved the vaccine, and so it's going to be rolled out commercially there. Given that Johnson Johnson has committed to giving us these doses as part of the study, they will continue to release those doses uh, because their commercial uh, uh, stock is probably only going to come through around May. Uh, and so we would uh, need to, to uh, complete these doses and then move on to the Pfizer vaccine for a while until we get more Johnson & Johnson doses coming through in about May. Just wanted some clarity on that. Thanks for um, explaining that to me. So let's go to that next important part now, um, Dr. Pillay. So, you know, and let's start off then by talking about, you know, if, if you could, I don't know if, you, uh, if you've done the tally already, but, you know, how many healthcare workers have been vaccinated? How many more still to come? Because that then leads us to find out by when are other members of the public going to be vaccinated in phase two? So the, um, the the healthcare workers that have been vaccinated to date, we we passed 100,000 mark on the on the on the weekend, uh, um, and so we we're now uh, um, continuing with that. Remember, we we passed 100,000 mark, activating around 17 sites across the country. We then increased the sites now to 49. Um, this, this will obviously uh, uh, ratchet up the speed at which we are vaccinating healthcare workers. But uh, the, um, the rate-limiting step is always going to be the delivery of vaccines as to what pace uh, we can get those vaccines from Johnson & Johnson. But our target is that we would have completed healthcare workers in April. And then by late April, early May, we will then start with phase two, which is the elderly, those with comorbidities, those that are essential workers, and those living in what we call congregate settings or working congregate settings. And uh, we will start that in, in, in about uh, uh, um, early May or late April. So I know you mentioned that it depends on um, on stock and the arrival, and, and, and I'm sure a lot of goes into a procurement process. Um, but, you know, you're saying late April, early May. Um, what numbers are you looking at in terms of um, the allocation for those population groups in terms of the vaccine? So we, we're, we're going to take a phased approach uh, in, the, in, the, in phase two, meaning that within phase two we'll have subgroups. So certainly, for example, in the, in the elderly, we would start with the, those that are at the higher age group first. So uh, setting a target, for example, everybody that's over the age of 75 to be vaccinated first, then going from 75 to you know 65, etc. That would be the kind of uh, um, uh, phasing in for 
for the elderly, we would do the same thing in terms of uh, comorbidity. So we would uh, identify those with the highest risk of comorbidities, you know, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and a person that's got a, got a combination of those kinds of comorbidities because they have a higher risk. But you would run each of these in parallel so, so that uh, you, whether you're an essential worker or in a complicated setting or elderly with a comorbidity, we would in parallel phase this through. Uh, we will provide more more information about the numbers and uh, where people will register and all of that in the, in the next couple of weeks. Um, and uh, we're we confirming the, the kind of stock arrival dates for for April, May, so that we can then make commitments linked to that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, definitely something for us to keep tabs on. Doctor, the lot of people we've interviewed thus far uh, say, yeah, I'm so glad I've got the vaccine. It's, it's it's amazing. But it did come with some side effects. I did have one or two days where I didn't really feel myself. Um, shifting the focus then to those you know, elderly and those with comorbidities uh, who already have compromised systems and, and, and you know, weaker constitutions, um, you know, any concern or any sort of guideline for them come April, May when they get it, um, you know, what I'm trying to ask is, you know, what should they be prepared for? I think they would they, they should anticipate that they may have what we best describe as flu-like symptoms, a bit of fever, uh, they, uh, they, they may have pain at the site of the injection, uh, those are typically the um, the symptoms you have a bit of body ache, and so you may feel like fluish for the for a day or two most, and um, and then you feel I mean you you back to normal thereafter. Everybody that I've spoken to that uh, had been vaccinated had had that to a mild to moderate extent, and uh, and have got well. We've never had in all the hundred thousand healthcare workers we haven't had an anaphylactic case yet, so no shock or anything like that. Uh, a few people have had, uh, you know, rashes and those kinds of things, but they were short-lived for a couple of days and then they went away. Um, so so that's why it's been really good and across the world as well. Uh, remember, this, this vaccine was trialed in a number of countries. 43,000 people had been vaccinated already. And um, they haven't had any deaths or any, you know, um, adverse events from the vaccine as such. So it's, it certainly is uh, uh, stepping up to be a very safe vaccine. Yeah. yeah. Well, Dr. Pillay, I mean, you know, I'm, I, I think protocol would advise me to ask you your thoughts on the possibility of, of third wave. Um, I'm actually not going to because I think the information is very clear for us all to understand in terms of the fact that uh, it, it is with changed behavior that one can achieve results. But what are the technical planning and preparations should a third wave strike? Yeah, let's say a little bit about the third wave. You know, I think a lot of people usually ask about the third wave, assuming it's a it's a preordained destiny, and it is not. It's it's actually in our hands. So you know, if everybody got together and said, we're really not going to be allowed this 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 virus to to give us a third wave, we're all going to wear our masks, sanitize, etc. Uh, we won't have a third wave. So a third wave is dependent largely on us, uh, but we, we obviously in the health department must prepare for a third wave. So uh, we we obviously regrouping now and uh, we'll uh, reallocate resources to make sure that uh, all of the facilities that have 
patients are ready again, any resources that are depleted, whether it's oxygen, which is which was a, a challenge at a particular point, particularly during the Christmas period last year. Um, I think the oxygen suppliers have had a chance to ca- catch the breath and increase the production, etc. Um, this this strain of uh, of uh, uh, um, virus, the, the the variant that we just experienced, was highly transmissible. I'm anticipating that uh, any any further outbreaks will not be as bad as this one, uh, um, simply because it, it was probably the most uh, virulent uh, strain that we've had so far. Uh, and I'm hoping that the next version will be much, uh, much uh, uh, lighter. Yeah. Well, Dr. Anbin Pillet from the National Department of Health, thanks for your time. And I'm sure uh, work cut out for you. And obviously, we'll in, enjoy keeping tabs on that. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Teresh, and uh, good afternoon, Jennifer. Appreciate your time, Dr. Pillay. Okay, so there you go. Those are the sorts of information coming through on, um, you know, the the, the way um, vaccines are being administered in the public, sorry, in the healthcare sector, um, looking and, and really zeroing in on the, um, you know, the really frontline um COVID-19 patient worker, if that is even a term, but, you know, those who work directly in close contact with those who are COVID-19 positive, um, those really have become um, the top of priority list. But, you know, again, then what the department tells us is a phased in approach for the likes of GPs and others who do work in the sector as well. They do come into contact, but possibly not on a, you know, 24-7 basis is the one that actually works in a COVID-19 ward perhaps. So definitely um, you know, this is the kind of issue that I wanted to highlight. And April, late April, early May, that's the sort of target that the Department of Health has to administer the vaccine to the elderly, those with comorbidities and essential workers of the country. So Late April, early May is the timeline being perpetrated over there. When we come back, we go to more of your messages on the program. Stay tuned. This Sunday brings the return of the Barclays FA Women's Super League. Sitting comfortably in the number two position, winning their last six matches, are the citizens of Manchester City. Get to the byline by Kelly. Really dangerous ball And Manchester City have their goal. Having given fans a mixed bag of results, Everton wants nothing more than to clinch those three points to move up from fifth place. Puts it into the near post. Oh, what a shot! Fantastic finish! Don't miss out on super action when the citizens of Manchester City tackles the toffees of Everton this Sunday, the 7th of March at 4 pm. Streamed live on SABC Sport Online.co.za, the Barclays FA Women's Super League. Hashtag This is Our Game. Brought to you by SABC Sport. Assalamu alaikum, Dumelang Da Habare Sanmonani. Our journey of building a prosperous province is continuing. Join the MC for Finance, Nomsa Dubengobe, on various media platforms on Tuesday, 9 March at 10. Do you believe in the potential of this province? Do you want prosperity? If the answer is yes, let's join hands and build a prosperous province. The MEC will present a budget speech as we rebuild our economy and create jobs. She is committed to make your rent go an extra mile. News break talk. I'm Tadej Shari Pashad going to WhatsApp now. Some questions coming through. Dr. Pele has left us and I'll try and follow up on those. Uh, somebody asking about um, 
you know, if you've had COVID-19 before, um, you know, will you still get, uh, can you still take the vaccine? I imagine you can, you must, because, um, you know, the antibodies do have a shelf life, we understand, or, or rather it's not going to uh, permanent by virtue of the fact that you got it once, it's not going to permanently safeguard you. I'm not so sure, I'm not a doctor, but like I say, we don't have Dr. Pillay anymore on the line, going to try and find out as soon as I possibly can to, to, to get information on that. Okay, some text messages. Rohini says, uh, all we hear about is the third wave to put fear in people. So why is government uh, getting vaccines in dribs and drabs? Um, yeah, Rohini, we were told it's a procurement process. Um, of course, cost as well, production, the whole world wants vaccines now. So there's an application process. It's, it's you know, it's really going through the um, sort of, um, you know, the COVAX system and um, yeah, that's why dribs and drabs. It's it's a lot of negotiation. It's a lot of um, um, discussion, and it does cost money. So what we I think one of the major sort of discussions at the start of vaccine rollout was that the bigger nations, the US and and the developed nations, the UK, um, they have enough resources and money to buy enough vaccines as much as they possibly you know need. African countries with not such a high GDP as those of the developed nations, they possibly won't be able to buy as much as um, the developed nations. So I think this is why you have a sense of it coming in drips and drabs. Charmaine Naidu from Unit 7 in Chatsworth says, I visited Chatsworth Centre um, and I was disappointed to see people have their masks on their chins and there was no social distancing whatsoever. While in the queue, I very politely asked a lady to move back a little because she was practically in my face. And her reply was that we are going... Like, I can't even read that. And her reply was that we are all going to die anyway. Her response shocked me. And honestly, I can't understand why people are so arrogant and why... Uh, and those who are cautious have to go through this. I mean, Charmaine, I do just based on your story and if uh, on what you're alleging happened between you and this woman. Um, wow. Wow. So I think the advice then, Charmaine, is to just make sure that you walk around wherever you're shopping with the spray bottle of sanitizer. Everything you touch, everything you do, just give yourself a quick spray because it seems as if people around you don't seem to uh, want to adhere to protocols like that. Roshan Ramkisunu Visipingo says, um, I'd like to know if one is allergic to certain drugs like I'm allergic to aspirin, penicillin and tartazine. Is it fine for me to take the vaccine? Roshan, I think that's definitely a conversation to have with your um, with your um, GP on that. I wish doctor was on the line so we could have still asked him on that. Um, here's Selvin. Hello, Selvin. Hi, Suresh. Just another point. They say all approved vaccines, including Pfizer, Moderna, Covishield, and Covaxin, have 100% efficacy in preventing death due to COVID and very high efficacy against uh, severe COVID. And then uh, you have different levels of the efficacy. So they say because all vaccines prevent severe COVID and death, vaccinations of large cohort of population is important if you want to save humanity from ill effects of the current pandemic. Everyone should get vaccinated and encourage others to get vaccinated. Vaccination of 10,000 pregnant ladies in the United States without any additional side effects 
After three months of follow-up, they proved that pregnant ladies can also be safely vaccinated. I just thought I'll let you all know. There's much more, but I don't want to take up too much time. Thank you, Uttaresh. Good encouragement coming uh, through from Selvan over there on, um, you know, the, I think, you know, the tools that the, the world has now to fight COVID-19. And of course, his advice there is go ahead and use it as best you can. Let's go to this voice note. Hello there. Good day, Tharish. I would like to share my experience with the listeners. A few months ago, um, I actually uh, was in Woolworths in a queue um, waiting to get to the top. And um, I was so engrossed with my, in a conversation with my husband that I actually forgot, that both of us actually forgot that we were much closer than we should have been to the person in front of us. Now, this lady had a, a child who was around about, you could tell, 10, 12 years old, between that age. And uh, she kept on looking at me, and, uh, but I was still engrossed in my conversation, but I could see her looking at me. And then she said something to the uh, teller, and then she looked at me and said, you know, can you, keep your, can you keep your distance? Initially, I was quite irritated because of the cons- uh, condescending tone in which she told me. And, uh, you know, initially I thought, okay, maybe it could be a racist thing. But uh, for a second, I, I then realized, look, to be honest, I would have done the same thing. For one, I should have been more uh, conscious, in, especially in these times and days when COVID is so alive, to my, you know, my space, because I would have probably done the same thing. She had a child with her as well. Um, you know, it's not about the issues, the, the, you know, of clouding these things with many other issues. We could put race, we could put, you know, a male, female, we could put, you know, many aspects, religion and a whole lot of things to this, to, to why the person is the way or why did the person tell us, you know, to keep the distance. But truth be told, we must keep our distance. And only a few minutes later did I reflect and I realized that it doesn't matter, you know, in what tone she has said this to me or in what manner or what facial expressions she said to me, that's irrelevant to the point of, of the issue. And the issue is I should have kept my distance. Okay, wow. I mean, like, clap for you, like, seriously, um, that you're able to... You know, like you said, to take a moment and reflect on that situation. Uh, I think that's definitely what South Africa needs. And I'm, I'm so happy that we were able to play something like that on the program. Um, I'm sorry, I had to be running out of time, so I didn't get to the end of your voice. I don't know if you left your name on it. But um, yeah, I think that's a really good thing because, I mean, we're all human, right? And not everybody gets it perfect. So um, I think the fact that, you know, you were in a situation, it was a little bit tense, but you realized this is somebody just adhering to protocol and I should also be mindful of that. Uh, really good. And I hope a lot of people can draw from that experience. It was a very honest reflection. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I think um, on that note, we'll just leave the program there. And uh, hopefully we try to provide you some information. Some questions have come through. My heart's heavy that, you know, it came through after Dr. Pillay left us and I can't get that answer. But I'll try my best to get it in subsequent broadcasts uh, for you. So we leave the broadcast there. It came your way courtesy of the team, executive producer Selma Patel and Rachel Vardy. We're going to talk to you again. That's between six and seven o'clock with uh, Matthew Viren. He'll bring you morning current affairs. Um, yeah, and hopefully, you know, if, if we get any more answers for you on those questions, you can tune in then and you can uh, check it out there. So from me, Tarish, hey, have an awesome day. Newsbreak, Lotus FM, powered by SABC News.